Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. We're into John chapter 13. Leadership is very much a topic at the moment. We see political leaders who we perhaps don't admire or perhaps we do admire, who perhaps we don't trust or perhaps we do trust. One of the things that I think a lot about in my role is what is leadership and uh, what does it mean to lead others. There are a lot of different books and seminars and conferences that one can go on to. I want to uh, use one or two quotes uh, from uh, this book that actually I need to confess that Deb read this book and gave me some of the key quotes. Uh, so I'm just uh, a bit of a magpie. But here's a quote from Unleading, Unleader, Reimagining Leadership. He says, we have, we have not been ambitious about servantship. We have been hypnotized and fascinated with leadership. That's a really interesting idea that we go on and on about leaders rather than servants. Do our political or business leaders, our employment leaders, do they do it because they want to serve or are they doing it for money or power or some other reason? And he continues, Jesus told his disciples he wanted them to abandon the leadership culture of the kingdoms of the world and follow him into servantship, into a servantship culture of the kingdom of God, the servantship culture of the kingdom of God. And the fundamental, one of the fundamental passages around this concept of serving is that which we're going to look at over the next two weeks in John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knew what his mission was. What was going to happen was not accidental. Last week, we looked at this next part of the verse. It said, he loved his own who were in the world to the very end. And we're going to pick it up then at verse 2. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, why are we told this information? It's a couple of things just to, 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 to draw your attention to in passing. The idea of betrayal has been sown by the devil. And it's quite clear in the phraseology. It's not that the devil made Jesus do it. It's that he prompted him. Or some of the other translations talk about he put it in his heart. The idea came from Satan but it was still Judas's responsibility to resist. And we may be tempted in all kinds of ways, but we're not powerless to saying no. But why does John tell us this? Well, it's important because what is going to follow in the next few chapters and verses, he wants us to understand and remember that Judas is present and that the idea of betrayal is still there. And we may refer to that on a number of occasions, but it's important to understand that what Jesus is doing, he is doing to someone in part who he knows is about to betray him. So verse three, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning 
to God. So Jesus knew his supreme power. He knew what he had in the heavens. He knew that he was the creator of heaven and earth, as John 1 tells us. And he knows that he's come from God and is returning into God. He knows his divine nature. He knows that he's God in human form. He knows that he's laid aside some of his majesty, his uh, omnipresence and his ability to be everywhere. And he's confined to this human body. And then John tells us, so, this little word, so. And it's an important word. Jesus knew who he was. He knew all the power. He knew all the authority. He knew that he was God in human form. He knew that he'd come from God and was returning to God. He knew it all, so. And we might be tempted to answer that. So he allowed the disciples to worship him. So he called the people to bow before him. So he took a a commitment from those around him to follow him. That's what perhaps the world might have expected. If we're familiar with this passage, we perhaps lose the shock of what then happens next. Because the so is followed by something which is completely incongruous with the power and the majesty and the status of Jesus. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round the waist, round his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, we may uh, have a, a, a kind of sanitized view of that. We may think it's slightly an odd thing to do, but not too, too unpleasant an action. But we need to understand the significance of what is happening at this moment. You may recall, we've said it on other occasions, that the uh, culture of the day was to walk through the sand or muddy streets. There was no pavement, there was no concrete. And these streets were cohabited with animals. It might be camels, it might be cattle, it might be horses, it might be sheep. And these animals were not house trained. They would deposit their little offerings for the world on the streets. There was no pavement and this would get mixed and mingled with the sand and the mud, particularly uh, after rain or or whatever. So it was normal for people. People didn't wear socks or boots. They would be barefoot or have sandals. So this, if you pardon my bluntness, this poo mixed concoction would get all over people's feet. And as you came into a house, it would bring the smell with it. Therefore, it was imperative that people wash their feet before you uh, sat down to eat. Now, poorer people would wash their own feet, but those with a little more wealth would have a slave to do it. And it would be the lowest slave, the least important slave, because it was the worst job to clean and scrape off dried on poo that as you wet it with water and towel becomes liquid again and begins to smell. Just to clarify the bluntness of what we're talking about, I have a dog. My dog does things in the park, I have to get a little black bag out and put my hand inside the bag and I have to pick up the poo and occasionally it goes wrong. I know some of you are squirming and feeling already this is inappropriate. 
Many of us would have trodden on something that wasn't picked up by a bag and we've trodden it into the carpet, we've had to clean our shoes and we've cursed the dog owners that didn't clear up. To wash someone's feet is the action of the lowest slave. It was necessary and it had been left undone. The disciples had been standing around looking at each other. Who was going to do this? Where they were all perhaps too important, they felt, to do it. Because it was unpleasant and it was demeaning. It was something that they couldn't imagine Jesus doing. He was their leader. They were his followers, his disciples. He was their teacher. They believed him to be the Messiah. He certainly wouldn't be cleaning feet. And what happens next, we're going to come to in our next study. But instead, we're going to jump on a few verses uh, to chapter 12, uh, to verse 12, where he explains what has happened. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked. Do you understand why I have taken on the role of the the lowest slave to make you clean? And he continues, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is what I am. He's saying, I'm not washing your feet because I'm not really your Lord and Master. I am your Lord and Master, and that is why I'm washing your feet. Verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So is Jesus saying that we should uh, take each other's socks and shoes off and wash people's feet? Is this a literal command? Literalism is the the bane of religious people. We try and avoid the meaning of things by just following them literally. I don't believe that Jesus is particularly asking you and I to wash each other's feet. Verse 15 spells it out. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is an example. This is an illustration. This is one amongst many ways in which we are to serve others. Very truly, I tell you that servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Now you know these things, and you will be blessed if you do them, he says. So Jesus tells his disciples, he tells you and I to serve others, to see what is necessary and left undone. The things around about our workplace, the things around about family life, the things around about church, the things around about community, the need doing and nobody's done them. And that may well be unpleasant and difficult and hard and may well be demeaning. 
Now, I want to just add a little caveat, which is to say, and I've said this on a lot of other occasions, that I believe we balance this with God asking us to use the gifts and skills that he's given us, that we're a different individual part of his body. We may be an arm or a leg or a nose or an ear or whatever it is, that we are shaped with certain gifts. And that the role of a disciple is in part to use our gifting and in part to serve and do what needs doing, irrespective of gifting. And both of these things, need to be held in balance and if we do all our life spend all our life simply doing what we're gifted at and never doing anything that's difficult or unpleasant but is necessary then we are not following the way of Christ but equally if we spend our whole time never using our gifts never using our talents but simply doing the things that need doing we are wasting the way God created us so the two need to be held in balance but For this particular passage, let's dwell on this aspect of serving, of believing that nothing is beneath us. He says servants are not greater than their master. And if Jesus can do the worst job in the community, then you and I can do anything that needs doing. And that that is the way of discovering God's blessing. You will be blessed if you do them. Servantship radically alters the culture and atmosphere when it is present. What does that mean? What does it mean to serve? What does it look like? I want to suggest some practical examples, and you would have your own, but I want to really nail down and earth it so that we get beyond simply thinking literally about feet. It may be cleaning or washing up. It may be cleaning or washing up in the office, the coffee cups, or the dog poo that's left by somebody else's feet on the carpet, or in the home, or wherever we are, picking up litter from the streets where we see others have dropped it. It's not our responsibility. We didn't do it, but we serve, and we clean, and we wash up. Serving for us may look like this. It may be covering another person's work, doing something that isn't our job but needs doing and somebody else should be doing it. And we could say it's not my job and I'm not paid to do it and they need to do it, but we choose to serve. We choose to do what perhaps is demeaning, what perhaps is not our role. We choose to put away or to tidy up or to get the job done. It may be that servanthood looks like staying late to finish the task, to get alongside others and to say, I'm going to work with you till it's done. Although perhaps I'm the boss or perhaps I'm the supervisor or perhaps it's not my commitment, but we stay on and we help. Servant may be fronting up and taking criticism for things that we could say wasn't my fault or I agree with you, we could drop our colleagues or family in it, but we take a a shared collective position. Service may look like listening again and again to an individual who's lonely or losing capacity and forgetting what they've already told us and spending time hearing the same story repeated, listening in love and care. And it's hard. And it's difficult. It may be offering friendship to an awkward character who others perhaps would walk on by, 
who is irritating, who is difficult, who perhaps doesn't respond in love. It may be using our money and giving financially to others, to those in need, to the work of a church or a Christian charity. We may feel it's not our role. We may feel it's difficult and demeaning. You might have your own list. I want to invite you to look through and say, what are the things I think it's not up to me to do? Somebody else should do it. When we find ourselves saying somebody else should do it, then perhaps that's the clue that God is saying, and why don't you do it? And if we find ourselves saying, that's beneath me, uh, I'm more important than that, or I've got more skills than that, maybe we hear God saying, that's what I'm asking you to do. Albert Schweitzer says, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found a way to serve. Jesus says you'll be blessed if you do these things. So our questions for reflection, where are there unpleasant but needed tasks around us? And where are we tempted to think, not my problem, not my role, not my job, not my use of time? So what act of serving is Jesus asking of us? How might we revolutionize our family, our workplace, our community relationships? by taking on the role of the servant rather than seeking for position or power or prestige. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you're the God who seeks to serve, who in humility and gentleness does the very difficult and painful stuff for us. And we choose to follow you. Open our eyes to what needs doing, we pray, that we may serve you and serve others. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.